Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about a different Alkaline Trio song. This week, it's Eating Me Alive. on a rake mm-hmm. it's that and then it's also like the uh the beginning of the movie montage i'm, I'm looking at you david uh-huh. anthony and me tim crisp is saying go get him tiger go get him that's when you start training for your big heavyweight title fight or maybe just your your back alley brawl against the school bully either way you're coming out on top when eating me alive is in the background. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I I've described this song one way to a lot of people, and I'm just gonna get it out up top here, so then we can talk about other things. But the first time I heard this song, I remember it coming on, listening to the record "This Addiction" back in ye old 2010, February 23rd, 2010. Um, I'm, I do remember that I, I uh, wrote about this record, so I had an advance of it. So maybe I heard this in 2009. I was just like, oh, God. Because uh-huh. I spent a lot of time with this and really tried to like it. I remember this coming up and hearing that, you know, kind of like synthy thing that's happening. Yeah. And I was like, this sounds like montage music. And over the intervening, you know, eight or nine years, uh-huh. I'm like, this sounds like the music I would hear when I would see like a Bally Total Fitness commercial and like someone running on a treadmill trying to get in shape. Like, yeah. this is what that music is. Yeah. Right out the gate. And to, if you wanted to apply it to 2018, it's it's what you put. You put it on, you put your headphones in, and then you go rock climbing. Mm-hmm. That's what all the kids are doing these days. Yeah, first uh, first ascent. Anyway, uh, welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Every week we discuss a different Alkaline Trio song. My name is Tim Crisp. I'm with David Anthony Hello. here. And we are talking today about Eating Me Alive, which is the eighth track on the Alkaline Trio's seventh LP, This Addiction, uh-huh. released in February of 2010. Uh, the first record for Epitaph. Slash Heart and Skull. Slash Heart and Skull, the short-lived imprint. Still happening. Still happening? They, uh, so, when, there's been a history of, like, those kind of imprints. Like, Vagrant did it with the Get Up Kids. Uh-huh. Um, and they, you know, though technically the anniversary came out in Vagrant, that was technically signed to Heroes and Kings or whatever the Heroes fuck and it. Villains. Yeah, it's a Beach it's Boys reference. Um, yeah, who cares? Um, anyway. Second greatest American band of all time. Uh, it's demonstrably untrue. I think you were talking about the Chuck E. Cheese uh, band. They're my second favorite band of all time, right after clearly uh, Jefferson Starship. But anyway, um, so th- they had this imprint. I th- I think it was maybe last year or two years ago. Hard uh, and Skull actually put out the first release by another band that they are not in, called like Sharp Shock or something. I think they're uh-huh. from England. They're boring. Um, but yeah, so it's still technically a thing, I guess. All right, all um, right, going semi strong. Yeah. Um, so you, David, um, if you've listened to the podcast before, uh, one of the one of the little dynamics that we have going on here is that David is a lifelong Alkaline Trio fan, uh, starting back in in nineteen ninety nine hyphen to present. Yes. Me, on the other hand, I go nineteen ninety nine to about 
2005 and then there's a break yes and then we come back in so this is a song that i heard for the first time three days ago Mm -hmm. and this is a song that david who was still very very interested and very invested in this band heard and Mm -hmm. i just you know tell me about that experience of you know wanting wanting so bad for this band to return to the glory days Uh uh-huh and then hearing something like this yeah so i mean before we get into that i want to talk about the idea of a return to form which is what they kept talking about with this record Uh uh-huh is you know like agony and irony came out it was on epic it was their lone major major label release and that record didn't do as well commercially as i think the label or the band wanted uh-huh. and part of that is obviously the era it was released in and all this but also because i i think a lot of fans do not regard that record very highly and yeah. really dislike it that's where you fell off right right and i think that that started to happen around crimson which is a record that i i like but it was you know it felt like the band was going off into a different direction felt like signing to a label like epic was you know the continuation in that direction so yeah and and i went into agony and irony being pretty excited because i did like crimson a lot and i liked a lot of those b-sides from that record and i liked them embracing that like we're gonna go full cure Uh and just like have these really really heavily layered songs because you know at a certain point i think bands do kind of hit a wall with doing one thing you know there are exceptions to that but you know you don't want to become bad religion right you know maybe you want to become motorhead but like you can't you can't really like right exactly you know i think i think that it had started to wear a little thin for the alkaline trio there's only like so many inversions you can do of 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 that chord progression right yeah Uh there's only so many fucking octave chords you can throw into a bridge or an intro to like make a song pop right? right so you know this was early in me you know i was in college when this came out i was you know had a job and i was starting to write more quote unquote professionally. Was this for Pop Stash or yes. were you writing for the AV Club? Yeah. I was, I hadn't started writing for the AV Club. I was writing for Pop Stash, which was like a blog me and my friends at Columbia started, and I was doing a lot there. And I really think that's like where I kind of sharpened, you know, uh, my tools a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, because I wrote some stuff I I was pretty proud of, and I reviewed some records that were great, like you know Bruce Springsteen's The Promise or The Monitor by Titus Andronicus, and then I wrote about this record. Yeah, and I think like. <laughs> really what i was doing at the time because I, I reviewed it kind of favorably was i was trying to like delude myself into liking it a little bit and i think that was right. the case for a lot of people i knew who were big alkaline trio fans i think them being like we're going back to chicago we're gonna record with matt allison we're gonna like cut out all the shit and we're just gonna make an alkaline trio record that sounds really exciting yeah definitely you know but in the intervening 10 years or whatever since that was kind of being you know touted about like um so many bands have tried that you know so, tried to what like go in and say we're gonna do it we're, we're the gonna way do we a used return to, do. to form uh-huh. you know like metallica has done it famously twice right you know um so many bands when they kind of lose their luster they're gonna be like we're gonna we're gonna get back to what the people like right yeah yeah and it's either with that intentionality or when you know the thing comes out and then the the critics can be like oh all right we're, we're back 
Bruce yeah. Springsteen's Ghost of Tom Joad. Like, Bruce is back, baby. Yeah, yeah. And, like, more often than not, those records suck. Uh-huh. Is what I'm yeah, going to say. Right. Like, uh-huh. Because it's... They aren't inspired, and I think it's it's kind of ultimately admitting you don't really know what to do. Yeah. Because you've had... To have a return to form record or need to make a return to form record, that you're means gonna, some things have gone bad. Right. And you're going to admit that, that things aren't going the way that they should be going and, and that at some point you've lost your direction. Yeah. You've lost the original spark that made this thing work. Yeah. Well, it's that. And I think, you know, you've not heard this record in full yet, so I don't want to spoil it. But I will say, I'm going to get... You can spoil it at this so, point. So... <laughs> I'll give you a little bit of a play-by-play of hearing this record the first time. Uh-huh. They had released the first song, the title track, This Addiction, first. And I was like, this is okay. This is like a decent song. Yeah. And so when I listened to it, I was like, this is fine. And the second song comes in, and it's one of my lesser favorite dance songs, mainly because of the title and lyrics, and it just kind of dragged for me. We get to the third song, and it's got a weird kind of stilted riff that kind of happens in, in the chorus part of this song, too, that kind of John John. Uh huh. Type of thing, and then there's a weird trumpet solo in the middle, and I was like, I don't. Oh, they get what they get Don Cherry to go in there and just blow a little bit. (laughs) Well, because in the lead up to this, they were like, Yeah, we, you know, there's trumpet on this record. We were going for like a neutral milk hotel vibe, and Uh and listening to it, I was like, That's not a return to form. First of all, (laughs) one, not a return to form. Two, I don't think you've heard neutral milk hotel. (laughs) If this is what you think that is, so it just kind of, kind of keeps stumbling along that way. We get to this song. And I'm just going to outright say it that this is one of my absolute least favorite Alkaline Trio songs. Uh huh. Tied with the two songs that follow it in immediate <laughs> succession on this album. So, like, when I first heard it and when I was listening to it, I was like, I hate all of these songs. And as much as, like, we talked about where, like, Agony and Irony, I can respect for going for something, this song was really a sign of, like, you've got nothing to say, you don't know what to write about. And, at the time, like Matt Skiba was going through a divorce. Not that I think all good art is made from pain or struggle. I think that's kind of a fallacy. Yeah. I would expect these songs to be about something. And lyrically, this song's about nothing. L- musically, this song's carried by that synth part. And really, it's written in a way where it's like one part. It's not even a second part. It's like one and a half. Uh-huh. Because it all leads to one. The chorus is essentially one line. They're right. eating me alive. Because the the what I guess he technically would use as the chorus with that stilted riff thing, it feels like a pre-chorus to something that never comes, and then we're just back in. You know, the, right. the song felt so lazy to me, and still, when I hear it now, when it comes on, I just kind of like groan and chuckle at it because it's so bad. It moves at a very very just lazy pace you know this this is a it's it's like an overfed song yeah and you know moving into like that stilted part it's it's just like it's already like lost all the gas that it had at the beginning of it and one of the things about this song that just like really really got to me right away was just that there's like there's no like cathartic moment to it but it 
feels like they thought there was like the final eating me alive is supposed to be that (laughs) just like all right that like drive home moment you know where he actually like finally doesn't just sing like this and that's like the whole the whole delivery on it it's just like there's just zero behind it well i mean that's kind of the big thing is like he only in the verses he sounds bored right Mm -hmm. his delivery and the way his vocals are kind of seated in that like there it's just very like he's just kind of talking it to you right in this weird sing-song pattern and then it goes to the eating me alive where he kind of gives it that like little skiba feel Uh uh-huh but even at the end it's not like they're repeating it that much it's not like really a payoff it's just kind of this is what the song is um have fun right and even like looking at it further there's the song isn't about anything yeah it's like it's a love song i guess but is it i don't know i don't know either you know it's like the lyrics are just kind of like one empty image that falls into the next and that's just kind of something that we've been talking about the last few weeks like matt's reliance on cliche and imagery and it works in certain places that we've noted where it's like all right you have room to say something and you have to say quickly drop a line like whispering sweet nothings sure mr chainsaw you know it kind of has a problem with the fact that it's a little too like wordplay heavy but Mm -hmm. at least it's like about something this is things like you know like into my head like a love song climb to the top of the charts like that's okay first of all that's a really lousy into my head like a love song like okay yeah not a good he's not saying like like a pop song like not a good song it's just like it's like oh well a song about love okay so that doesn't really tell me anything no because that's the thing is like that presupposes that love songs are in a specific way and they are not Uh and you know two that climb to the top of the charts, it's like, what? How did it climb to the top of the charts? Like, and also, it- <laughs> like, it's, it's like, weirdly inside baseball, where, mm. like, it's much like Mr. Chainsaw is kind of about songwriting. This is maybe kind of about that, too, but I don't know. Like, I wish this song had a coda where he's like, in case you're wondering, I'm singing about having indigestion. Right. Like, just tell me what the <laughs> fuck is eating you alive. Because I don't know. And th- what's worse is that, like, he, it seems he's like so blissfully unaware of the fact that this makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Like that whole section about like um, your father, the jewel thief that night was behind bars. And it's right. like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because, right. Yeah. <laughs> your father is not a jewel thief. And yes. he's not behind bars. And if if that's what is going on in this person's life... I would suggest writing a song about that because it sounds like a very interesting story (laughs) in comparison to this where he's like, I can't stand this dark feeling, the shark eating me up inside, eating me alive. And I think that that like, okay, that is when we go back to Whispering Sweet Nothings and how it's just like, all right, you don't want to base your entire song on a line like that. 
here we have him basing his entire song on eating me alive, which yeah. I'm sure he's like, all right, well, we got a, you know, we got some cannibalism here, which you know that's, well, that checks that's that my box. thing, right? <laughs> like he has his, he has like a fucking dartboard on the wall of Atlas Studios, and it's just like, what lyrical tropes do I need to hit? He's like, oh, I hit uh, this, uh, I hit cannibalism, and I hit fucking love. So I'm just gonna throw these together, and whatever comes out comes out. But, like, it's also the reason that Jewel Thief line bothers me is because, like, he's basically taking one of those, like, shitty, corny pickup lines. Yeah. Of, like, Duh. Oh, did it hurt when yeah. you fell from heaven? Yeah, it's like, put that in the fucking song, you might uh-huh. as well. Like, <laughs> I just, I cannot get over, like, also, not just the fact that he wrote this and then recorded it, but that there were at least three other people in the room who were like, yeah, yeah sure, that's yeah. fine. This is, uh-huh. No, it's good. It's cool. I really right. like it. I think this, I'm going to be excited to play this on stage with you. I, yeah, I don't know. You know, and it's it's like there's nothing behind it. And they throw this synth on top of it. And there's not even like, there's not even like a... It, the synth doesn't go anywhere. It's just that yeah. looping thing over the top of it over and over again. And I guess, you know, my wonder is obviously like when you say you're going to go and you're going to do a return of form, you're also still going to like continue on with sure. expansiveness. I think that that's part of the the fallacy with the return of form. It's not like he's like, all right, what we're actually going to do is, I'm going to get a bike messenger job, but I'm going to drink too much before I go to work. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. And, but so so it's 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 like he's got this idea that like, all right, well, we're going to, you know, go back to home base and like maybe get it back a little bit. But, you know, explore the the other dimensions that they've been going with, like new wave yeah. influences yeah. and all of these things that, you know, are, are good. Like we know he likes the psychedelic furs. We know he likes like a lot of that, like new wave stuff from the eighties, mm-hmm. but to just like, you know, pull apart and throw it on top of something and hope that that's enough. It just doesn't work that way. Well, yeah, I, th- I think there's two things at play here. Cause like, you know, you talk about the psychedelic furs reference uh-huh. and there are bands he's always referenced that's one of them but i think the truth of what makes modern alkaline treatment and specifically this record so weak is that he's also prone to reference social distortion and this feels like a late period social distortion thing where like social distortion this guy's in his 50s and putting out a record called hard times and nursery rhymes right like that is why matt skiva thinks this is okay uh-huh for one like this is like a bad thing that like dudes with slicked back hair are into maybe yeah for sure and and two like uh you know a return to form should not be a step backwards it should be a step sideways you know so you can kind of triangulate your influences into something that maybe feels a little you know uh nostalgic but also feels like some sort of forward progress right right but i think genuinely like i would imagine most alkaline trio fans dislike this record more than agony and irony you think so? I mean, just because... You the... were on the ground, so... <laughs> I was on the ground, you know, really doing the hard-hitting reporting of the time. Right. But, uh, I mean, I think people wanted to like it, and I think people forgive it, and I think people forgive songs like This Addiction uh-huh. for giving them that very instant, like, this is mediocre, and that's okay. Yeah. But I think there's at least 
you know, there's no effort expelled on this record, you know, and it just feels very hollow to me from top to bottom. And I think what really jumps out to me is we've referenced before, like I did the Ranky Records interview with Matt, Dan Ozzy did the one with Dan, uh-huh. coincidentally, um, you know, and oh, Dan put this as his lowest. But, and Dan did the interview with Dan. Yes. That's funny. Yes. Hilarious. Uh, Dan did the interview with Dan and Dan Andriano. Said this was his least favorite record. To Dan Ozzy. To Dan Ozzy. Uh-huh. Uh, 8-0. Um, both Vowel Boys. And, <laughs> you know, he talks about how they felt really disconnected. Like, they were living in the same place, but, like, Matt was always going out to a bar in Wicker Park, which I think was Debonair. And, like... Um, Ooh. Yeah, he was really into that place for a while. And, like, Derek was going and doing whatever. And, you know, Dan was hanging out at G-Man with presumably, like, Brennan Kelly or whatever. Uh-huh. And, like, so, like, yeah, they were getting back to their roots, but they weren't, like, actually doing it. Uh-huh. And also, like, Derek never lived here, really, when that era... Like, I don't know. It's just feel like... Dan- Derek should have joined 88 Fingers Louis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He should have just, like, lived in Detroit and commuted. Um, but, like, they were just trying to, like, throw these pieces together, and it's the longest it ever took them to make a record. Yeah. You know, apparently. So, like... And Matt, on the other hand, when I interviewed him, like he placed it pretty high. It was like his third or fourth and talked about how much of a good time it was. We were all partying and being debaucherous. And it's just like, maybe that's what he needed to do after his divorce to like, just go have some fun. Yeah. But maybe don't make a record that's like this out of it. Cause I, I just, there's no cohesion through subject matter. There's no cohesion through sound. It's just, it's a very confusing album, and this song feels like a huge, huge, huge symptom of that, just not knowing what to do. Well, something that I'm thinking about as you're telling the story is that, you know, every song that we've talked about, we've talked about, um, you know, Derek or whoever's playing drums at the time's presence, yeah. and Dan and what they're doing on this song, and there's no need to talk about what either of them are doing here yeah. because there's just there's nothing that they're doing because there's nothing that they could possibly do within it right totally and, and i yeah i mean i think that's a huge thing is like i think Derek gets a lot of shit largely because of in this decade with this record in my shame is true like his playing is really not that interesting but it's also not like he's given a lot of room right you know and and similarly dan doesn't have a lot of room to like really carry it or do anything because Especially when you're working with those kind of stilted, like, jungent, like, chug riffs. What on you, earth are you supposed to do with that? I mean, that really p- puts a rhythm section in a corner. Uh-huh. You know? And you can do those things effectively, and there are songs where they have done that effectively. But this It's is, like a semicolon, you know? Yeah. There's got to be something that follows it that uh-huh. cements the point and drives it home. Really, this is just more of an M-dash. Yeah. No, don't you talk that way about M dashes. No, this is like this is like uh, it, this is like improperly using whom when you yeah. should have used who, and everyone's like, nope, nope. Yeah, we know we're on to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like kind of you know the, the the big symptom of of all of it is that this guy doesn't have a good idea. And he's not trying to come up with a better one. Totally. And I, you know, one of the things I want to touch on here, since we're not going to be, at least I don't think we're going to be talking about the demos record that Skiba released, I think in June and July of 2010, which was just 
he has said in interviews was purely a cash grab. He was going through a divorce. It needed money. So he just like gave Mike Park all these demos that like most of these songs should have just been thrown away. Uh huh. Or it could have been like, you know, if he wanted to release it, like this is the pure like throw it up on Bandcamp for pay what you want. Like that's what that record is worth. Right. And I wonder how much of that influenced it. I wonder if there was some sort of like honest confidence problem happening where he was going through a lot of things like agony and irony kind of tanks. People didn't like it. He's going through a divorce. He doesn't really know what people want of him. He doesn't really know what to do. And this is me projecting a lot, obviously. Yeah, for sure. If I try to put myself in that place, like I'm sure I wouldn't make the best record of my career out of that, you know? But when so much of his best work is based on tension and uncertainty and addressing that, to, to not see that really surface at all and to instead hear the shark eating me up inside, like, that just feels like you're not trying. Yeah. And I guess that there's like, you know, if you put all of that, all of those life circumstances together and then place someone like back in the place where they're from, there has to be like so much going through that dude's head and he's going to debonair every night. That's not helping. You know, nope. there's just like so much, like so much goop up in, in there. And yeah. I feel like in a lot of ways, this feels like so detached from his reality yes. that it's just like, you know, it, in theory, that could be a really good thing. You know, you write these songs to escape, but there's not really much good in in these songs. It's not like there's yeah. a redeemable quality. And when we talked about doing this podcast and we talked about, you know, like, oh, damn, there's like shit that I've never heard here. Mm-hmm. And you're like, buddy, be ready. I'm going into it and I'm excited for the fact that like, all right, I know this shit's going to be bad and uh-huh. this is going to be fun. And the couple of times that we've like, you know hit those tracks it has been fun this one wasn't fun i wasn't like yeah i wasn't like you know thinking of of like you know good cracks to make about it it was just like dude this song just plain sucks yeah it, it's one of those things where it's not even funny in a bad way right it's not like watching a modern poly shore movie it's more just like oh like it's, it's yeah. just so muddled and kind of sad it's it's how i feel about like how our culture looks at like kind of Tommy Wiseau right. where like he made one thing and then keeps now just trying to make bad things. Cause he thinks that's what people want, but it's just actually worse yeah. because it's trying to be something, but not really sure of how to get there. Uh huh. And, this is like uh, Sharknado. It's like yeah. it's like oh, people are into irony now. Well, let's like make it, and it'll be so over the top. And it's well, just I mean, like, they no. were into agony and irony. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anyway, I think we've said all that can be said about eating me alive, personally. And I, I'm just going to put it out there. As I said, I'm never going to give a song a zero. So this one gets 0. 0.5 sharks out of five. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with 0. 0.5 out of five. One out of ten. Yeah. One in ten. What? Don't want to be your monkey wrench. I hope that that picked up. Me Chloe's too. dreaming over there. She's dreaming and... of better songs than that. <laughs> <laughs> and there will be more uh, if you come back 
next week. But hey, um, if if you like what we're doing, subscribe to it. Tell a friend about the show. Um, share it uh, over various internet mediums. Um, Venmo me some money. That would be tight. Oh yeah, that would be so sick. Um, but hey, we're having a lot of fun doing this. The reason that we do is to get together and talk shit and have an excuse to do that. And uh, it's 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 greatly enjoyable, mm-hmm. even even within some of these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we'll be back next week with a better song. I guarantee it. Yeah, I mean we were, we were pulling from a better crop that time. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Side of the story, sad but true.